Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. The most famous verse in the Bible requires us to take just one action. What does it mean to believe? Pastor Rob explores this in his sermon titled, Whoever Believes in Him. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as Christmas approaches, we keep hearing the good news of celebrations, the celebration of the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we want to know what's behind the celebration. We want to know the true meaning of Christmas. And so, God, would you help us to see, to know, to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, does actually our picture of believing keep us from understanding the true meaning of Christmas? I mean, this year we get inundated with a lot of pictures of what it means to believe. And and a lot of these pictures appear in in Christmas cards, in Christmas decorations, and and even in Christmas ads. I want to show you one, because the picture that you're going to see paints a really interesting picture of what it means to... I, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. Believe... Snow? Believe in the fact that snow is great. It, it, believe it's Christmassy when it snows. Believe in, in magical snowmen that come to life. This is what I'm supposed to believe, right? What does this say about belief? A lot of pictures that we get of what it means to believe ask us to believe in magic and in togetherness and in the meaning, the power, the reason of the season. But all that is really a fairy tale when you get down to it. And that's not the true meaning of believing. The grocery chain Little, an international grocery chain, tries to point us to a Christmas you can believe in. A Christmas you can believe in. And by a Christmas you can believe in, they point you to things like kids who don't like to eat their carrots, And grandfathers who, after Christmas dinner, like to fall asleep in the big chair. This, they say, is a Christmas you can believe in because they're they're addressing the fact that there is an unbelievable Christmas. But what do they mean by an unbelievable Christmas? Well, sometimes an unbelievable Christmas is that one that's built on all of the magic. And and they're, they're saying that not everyone believes in the magic. So instead of the magic, we need a Christmas you can believe in. One where kids don't eat carrots and grandpa falls asleep. But beyond that, they they are pointing to the fact that sometimes our expectations around Christmas are unbelievable. The meal has to be perfect. The packages have to be exactly right. Everyone has to be together. And and in place of all that, they're, they're suggesting maybe what we need is a Christmas you can believe in. But are they suggesting the fact that behind it all is 
the birth of our Savior Jesus, and that not everyone believes in that. And so what we need instead are simple meals with families together around tables where the food is approachable because that is the only Christmas you can really believe in. Well, that's a cynical portrait of belief. And that's not the true meaning of believing. The question about what belief is is very important. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 3, verse 18, exactly what's at stake. Because in John 3, 18, we read, whoever believes in him, that is in Jesus, in the Son of Man, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so Jesus makes clear to us what the stakes are here. Anyone who believes in the name of the Son of God has been saved and has eternal life. And anyone who does not believe in the name of the Son of God is condemned and headed to eternal death and separation from God. And so the stakes in believing are extraordinarily high. John 3.16, our core passage for this Christmas season, is pointing us to the importance of believing John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, so far in trying to understand the true meaning of Christmas, we've explored what it means that for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. But today we come to the next clause, that whoever believes in him... And Jesus says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we have to ask the question, what, is this, what does this believe? What does it mean to believe? What is the true meaning of believing? And what we discover is we can't understand the true meaning of Christmas without understanding the true meaning of believing because we want to get past the Christmas cards and the artwork and the ad campaigns that tell us to hashtag believe in magic and snow, and we want to ask, okay, then what is it really to believe? Because as we get to the true meaning of believing, we actually discover our part in the true meaning of Christmas. You see, believing, as we begin to explore it, involves Agreement. Believing involves agreement. And agreement is one of the important topics in John chapter 9 as Jesus has an encounter with a man born blind. Jesus was in Jerusalem and near the temple one day, he encountered a man that the Bible says had been blind since he was born. And encountering this man who had been blind since birth, Jesus decided to do something. And so Jesus, surprisingly, spat on the ground, and he mixed the dirt and his saliva into a mud paste, and he put that mud paste on the man's eyes, and then he told the man to go and wash in a pool, the pool of Siloam. When the man born blind did that, after washing his eyes, he, he discovered that he could see Everyone in the area knew him, and so word spread quickly that the man born blind could now see. People were asking, what has happened, and who has done this? 
And so the Jewish religious leaders began an investigation, and the investigation was about the facts. What are the facts? Who is this man? Was he really born blind? Can he now see? And who is it who did this? And the investigation was complicated by the fact that if it were truly a healing, that constituted work, and the healing had happened on the Sabbath when work was prohibited. And so there was a question of facts, and it turns out that the Jewish religious leaders did not believe the facts that were established before them. In John chapter 9, verse 18, we read, the Jews did not believe that he, that is the man born blind, had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. You see, believing is sometimes agreement with a set of facts. And to begin with, the Jewish religious leaders did not believe that something significant had happened. There was no agreement about the facts. On some level, belief involves agreement about facts or propositions. We read that this is true when it comes to Christian faith. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul tells us that there is an agreement with facts that is important for us, a certain set of propositions that we must agree to. Paul writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so now Paul is telling us there are two ingredients involved. In in verse 9, he says there's two ingredients are confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. These are the two ingredients, the two things that we must do. But in chapter 10, verse 10, Paul puts them in an order, and he says, for with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses. And so agreement in the heart precedes the confession with the mouth. And to believe in one's heart means that we agree intellectually, cognitively. We give assent to a statement, a fact, a proposition. Now, how do we know that that's what Paul is saying here? Because you see, in Hebrew anthropology, the heart is the seat of reason. You see, we know the heart as an organ in the body that pumps oxygenated blood throughout the body, and it is. And to us, the heart is the place where we feel things. Love comes from the heart. But for the Hebrews, the heart was the seat of reason, of intellection, and of cognition, among other things. And so to say to believe with the heart is to say that one must give intellectual assent to, one must have agreement with a fact, a thought, a a statement, a proposition. And so we discover that believing involves agreement. But believing is always also something more. And as we continue to explore what happened between Jesus and the man born blind in John chapter 9, we find that something more. You see, after interviewing the man born blind's parents, the parents said, you're going to have to ask him. This is between you and him. Ask him. And the man said, yes, I was born blind, and now I can see. The, the, the Jewish religious leaders wanted this man to 
accused Jesus of being a sinner because he had done work on the Sabbath. And instead of accusing Jesus of being a sinner, he implied that he had become a disciple of Jesus and invited the religious leaders to do the same. Now, in gratitude for that step, they kicked him out of the synagogue because they were not going to become disciples of Jesus themselves. Jesus heard about the steps that the religious leaders had taken, and he went and he found the man. And this is where we find belief that changing into something more, because as Jesus encounters the man born blind, there's no, there's no disagreement about facts. They both know he was born blind. There's no disagreement about what happened. Jesus gave him his sight. And so it becomes then a question of something more. In John chapter 9, verses 35 through 36, we read, Jesus heard that they, the religious leaders, had cast him out, they had cast out the man born blind. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? There's no disagreement about the facts. And so the question is not, do you believe that this just happened? There is something more there. Do you believe in me, the son of man? And in John chapter 9, verse 38, we read, he said, that is the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him because Belief involves agreement, but then it involves something more. And so as we continue exploring what does it mean to believe, what is the true meaning of believing, we realize that believing requires trust. Believing requires trust. In fact, the original meaning of the word that is translated as to believe is trust. Trust is the root of the ancient classical Greek word that is translated to believe in our Bibles. You see, in classical Greek, the word believe was an adjective before it was ever a noun or a verb. And the adjective in in classical Greek originally meant trust, trusting, or trustworthy. Only later does the word become a verb. And as it becomes a verb to to it becomes the verb to trust, and it is used in oaths and contracts. And it, in the beginning, it means that I, the one signing this contract, trust you or extend my trust to you. And on the receiving end, it means I am trustworthy, I will be trustworthy, and I will obey you. That's what this word began to mean in Greek. Only later does it come to mean believe. It has everything to do in its beginning with trust. But you see, belief frequently has an object to it. Belief is not simply always, I believe that this or that happened, or I believe this or that fact. Frequently, belief instead is belief in someone or something. Belief is inherently a trust. And we discover that that belief has an object in Jesus Christ in the experience that his disciples had at the wedding feast in Cana, Jesus' first public miracle. At the wedding feast at Cana, the host family ran out of wine to serve their guests, something that would have been a disgrace to them. And Jesus, in response, turned a vast quantity of water instead into wine, and that wine was served to guests. 
There was no dispute between Jesus and his disciples about what had happened. Everybody knew what had happened. They, they had seen the water. They tasted the wine. The disciples had no doubt about the facts involved. But in John chapter 2, verse 11, we read about the impact of what the disciples had seen. We read this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and look at this, and his disciples believed in him. They moved from believing that, the facts were what they thought they were, to believing in him, to trusting him. Because you see, believing requires trust. Now, on the morning of the resurrection, we see belief moving from agreement to trust, and even still, one step further, on the morning of Jesus' resurrection, we begin with facts that are in dispute. Jesus was dead, his body was in the grave, and a stone was rolled in front of the tomb. These are the undisputed facts. But early on the morning of Jesus' resurrection, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When she went to the tomb, she found the stone rolled away, and she found the grave empty and no Jesus' body inside. Confused, she went back and she told the other disciples what she had experienced. I went to the grave. I saw the stone rolled away. The body is gone. And there was no agreement about the facts. The disciples did not believe Mary Magdalene. And so Peter and John went running to the tomb. And when they reached the tomb, they discovered that the facts were exactly what Mary had said. And we find something new. In John chapter 20, verse 8, we read, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. And so now Mary and Peter and John all believe in that they agree to some facts. The facts that they agree to is that the the stone has been rolled away, and the tomb is empty. They believe those facts. And then in the subsequent verses, Jesus appears to Mary and to some of the disciples, and we begin to see the disciples believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and to begin to believe in him, that he is truly the Son of God who is risen and Lord. But we also read, that Thomas was not there. One of the disciples, Thomas, was not there and did not see Jesus. And what we discover is Thomas didn't believe the facts, and we're going to discover that there was something more. In John chapter 20, verse 25, we read, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas doesn't believe the facts that Jesus is risen from the dead. And he doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't trust Jesus, and he doesn't trust, believe in the other disciples and Mary as well. But then just a couple of verses later, a short time later, a week later, Jesus appeared to the disciples again, and Thomas was there, and Thomas got to see and experience the risen Christ for himself. And then we find his belief changing entirely. In John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, we read, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so we discover that believing is agreeing with the facts or a set of propositions. It is believing in, it is having trust in, and it's something more. Because we discover Thomas, like the man born blind, worshiping Jesus. He falls down and calls him, my Lord and my God. Just two verses later, the apostle John explains to us why he wrote the gospel, why he included certain things despite the fact that there was so much more that he could have said. And and he tells us that our belief is the point of his writing. John writes in chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so believing is agreeing with facts or propositions. It is trusting in, it is trusting in Jesus, and it is something still more. Because as we discover, believing demands faith. Believing demands faith. 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard is associated with something called the leap of faith. A lot of times, Kierkegaard's leap of faith is misunderstood, mischaracterized. And so people lampoon Kierkegaard as being against reason and intellect. So the way that they lampoon him is they say that Kierkegaard's leap of faith amounts to this, that that at some point people must decide to believe that about God, to have faith in God despite a lack of evidence or despite evidence to the contrary. And they say that's the leap of faith and it's anti-rational, but that's not what Kierkegaard is talking about at all. That's not what he says. What has been described as Kierkegaard's leap of faith arises from the time in which he lived. He lived He lived in a time when belief in Europe had become nothing more than an assent to a list of propositions. And Kierkegaard said, at some point, faith must be something more than dry assent to a list of propositions. Kierkegaard believed that at some point, faith had to turn into obedience and love. Belief had to become true faith. One had to move from believing that to having faith in, and that's the leap of faith that Kierkegaard was describing. Because belief demands faith. Now, believing faith involves a change of address. John's gospel describes the world that we live in as a place of darkness. Jesus talks about this as a place of darkness. And when the Bible talks about the world that we live in being a place of darkness, it means not only that the place that the world is full of ignorance about God and about the Son of God, not just that the the world is a place filled with sin, but 
It means that the world that we live in is a place actively resisting God. It's, it doesn't know God. It doesn't obey God, and it resists God. And that is our current address. That is the place we live before we become followers of Jesus. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, verse 46, that, that he has come that we might have a change of address in our lives. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, comes into the dark world that we live in. And the dark world that we live in and the kingdoms of this world is the address that we have before we are disciples of Jesus. And, and Jesus says, I come into the world as light so that you can belong to me, have faith in me, and change address to the kingdom of God and to the light. And so faith involves a change of address in Jesus. Faith, we discover, also opens up the possibility of a love relationship with God because believing faith turns into obedience. In believing faith, I obey God. And obedience, Jesus says, is love. To obey my Father is to love my Father. To obey me is to love me. And Jesus says, when you love me, you will abide in me. And so we discover that faith leads to obedience, leads to love, leads to God abiding in us, which helps us to have more faith, more obedience, and more love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we read, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I have faith, I obey, I love, I abide. God helps me to have more faith, to obey more, to love him more, and to abide more. It becomes a cycle that reinforces itself. So believing faith opens the door to a love relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And believing faith can lead to salvation. In our core passage, John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus states it so simply and elegantly. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when Jesus says believe here, he means everything that I've said to you today. Believe that, believe in, believing faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells us what the result of that believing faith is. We will not perish, but we will instead have eternal life. We will be saved. So belief demands faith. But that leaves us with a question. Will we believe? Jesus describes the fullness of belief in an odd passage. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is explaining to the Jewish religious leader Nicodemus what it is to be born again and how one comes to be a part of the kingdom of God and to get eternal life. And Jesus says in John 3, verses 14 and 15, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
Now, Jesus is referring back to a passage in the Old Testament where Moses was leading the people of Israel. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and Moses was now leading them through the wilderness. Out in the wilderness, food and water were scarce. God consistently provided everything that they needed, but the people kept grumbling about conditions. They began grumbling against God himself and against God's leader, Moses, and God decided to discipline his people in the wilderness. So he sent a plague, a plague of serpents. Deadly serpents came into the camp of Israel, and anyone that they bit died, and the people were desperate. They repented of their sin against God, and they asked for deliverance. Moses prayed to God and asked God to deliver them, and God said, okay, I will deliver them. But God did not cause the serpents to leave the camp. Instead, God told Moses to do a strange thing. He said, here's, here's what you're going to do. Make a serpent out of bronze and, and put that bronze serpent up on a pole. Whenever anyone in Israel is bitten by a serpent, if they'll look at the bronze serpent on a pole, they will not die. And that's exactly what Moses did, and that's exactly what happened. And it's an odd passage in the Old Testament, an odd thing for God to tell Moses to do, and it's an odd passage for Jesus to refer to in the New Testament. But at the same time, what God required the people of Israel to do really demonstrates to us the fullness of what belief means. Because when Moses put the serpent up on a pole and the people of Israel were bitten, they had to believe that. If they looked at the pole and the serpent on it, something might happen. They had to believe in the Lord God that he was able to save them and wanted to save them. And they had to have believing faith that turned into obedience because they had to turn away from the serpent and look to the bronze serpent in obedience to God in order to be saved. And when they did, God saved them and they didn't die. And Jesus is saying in the New Testament that, that we have to do something very similar. Jesus said, like the serpent in the wilderness, I am going to be lifted up. And we know that that means that he would be lifted up on the cross. And he was saying that people will have to come to me and believe that. I am the son of God, that I came to earth, that I died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, that I rose again on the third day. You have to believe that. And you have to believe in, believe in Jesus that he can forgive us, that he can save us, that he loves us, and he will save us. And you have to have believing faith, which means you have to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. It means that we have to have a change of address from the darkness to the light, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. It means that we have to open the door to a love relationship with God that involves obedience and abiding. 
It means that we have to turn to him in faith and accept our salvation and eternal life from him. Jesus was saying, this is how it will happen for you. This is what it is to believe in me. And believing is the only thing that John chapter 3, verse 16 leaves with us. God loved the world. God did that. God gave his only son. God did that. That we might have eternal life. Only God can do that. That whoever believes, whoever believes, that's the only thing John 3.16 asks of us. Will we believe? And that's something we can all do. But that leaves us with a decision to make today. Will we believe? Will we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived, who died, who rose again? Will we believe in Jesus? And will we, in believing faith, Come to Jesus Christ, repent, change our address, open the door to a love relationship, and be saved by him. Eternity hangs in the balance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the true meaning of believing. And it brings us so close to the true meaning of Christmas. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.